Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, founder and president of Gen Next Wealth, a fee-only financial planning and investment firm. So we are starting the month of May, and we're not going to have a theme this month. I know for the first four months of the year, every month was themed, but we're stopping that for a little while to give the host, myself, a little break from doing specific shows with a theme for the entire month, but we will continue to do those a little later. We are right now in the middle of getting some data from our listeners to make sure that we can put the next theme together with something that they like. But with that being said, we really enjoyed going through that. And I want to thank all of you for the feedback that you've given us. And we're going to jump right into this episode where we're going to talk about estate planning. We are joined by one of our special guests. His name is Mike Bennett. He works with Helios Plans. And we're going to talk a little bit about estate planning, why it's important, what you need to know, and some of the myths and mistakes that are made in estate planning. And without further ado, Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you, Emlyn, for having me. I'm looking forward to this. So Mike and I met through a mutual friend. It was Niall Bayer. Shout out to Niall that connected us. And then Mike and I had a call and I started to listen to what he had to say about estate plans. And I was like, wow, this is really, really good. So we are actually doing our estate plan with Mike at Helios. We're in the middle of doing ours now. We needed to get one of those done. And so he's been very, very helpful with that. And I said, you know what? When he started to help me, I said, why don't we have him on the show? Because I know I'm not the only one that has questions about this kind of stuff. So let's do it. I love it. So Mike, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little short introduction, a little background about yourself, then we'll go ahead and get jump right in. Yeah, I'm, uh, I was California born and raised, raised in Stockton, California, just you know, Central Valley guy all the way. I did go down to UC Santa Barbara for a few years for undergraduate and got my degree there in business economics. And then as much as I love Santa Barbara, hard not to love it. I'm a Northern California guy at heart. Mm-hmm. So I went to graduate school up in Sacramento and uh, lived in the Sacramento area now for almost 20 years. I was lucky enough to find a girl in Santa Barbara that agreed to follow me up to Sacramento. <laughs> Ended up marrying mm-hmm. her almost 15 years ago. And yeah, she's a saint compared to me. And <laughs> you're lucky enough to have two wonderful children, uh, Sydney, my 10-year-old, and Chase, my 7-year-old. There you go. Love what I do. It's not a whole lot of complaints. Nice. And so there's so many questions about estate planning. Like the name of my firm is Gen Next Wealth. And we have dealt with some of these estate planning issues in our, I've dealt with them in my own personal family, or I should say the lack thereof, the estate planning issues in my own family. And so that kind of led me down a path of asking questions like, what is an estate plan? You know, why do we need one? Only rich people have them, right? You know, all those questions like, you know, I don't have a bunch of money or a bunch of assets yet. You know, everybody wants to get there, but we don't have a bunch of those things yet. So I just neglected to even look into what it would take to have an estate plan, even though I was referring my clients to get them. You know, I was saying, hey, you need to go get this done. And then I started thinking about it, like I'm not eating the home cooking that I'm telling my clients and I'm not doing what I'm telling them to do. And I said, enough's enough. And then Mike was nice enough to get started. So with that, estate planning, why should everyone have one? And the first question, Mike, can you just explain to us what an estate plan is? What is that? An estate plan is generally a set of documents, and some of those documents can include a revocable trust, a will, 
financial power of attorney, advanced health care directive. Those are all part of an estate plan. Mm-hmm. And to me, if I could boil estate planning down to one word, and you're going to hear this word several times during this podcast, it's control. Mm-hmm. Estate planning gives you the ability to control things that may feel outside of your control. It controls who's going to get your assets. How are they going to get them? Who will make financial decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself? Who will make healthcare decisions for you if you can't make them for yourself? And who would get the custody of any minor children should the worst happen to you? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, estate planning, it's about controlling certain aspects of your life. So it's retaining control, you know, from the grave, basically, almost. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And not only from the grave, but a lot of people don't discuss it. It also helps control if you were to become incapacitated in any way. Mm. And so I feel like that's something that not gets missed, but it doesn't get talked about enough. So that's big. And I think that's very important to put that there, retaining control. When I used to have a lot of long-term care, I used to, when I was doing insurance, I did a lot of long-term care. And we would call that a way to keep your dignity. It was like dignity insurance. And people were like, yeah. what do you mean? I was like, you know, I love my grandmother. When she was alive, my grandmother had dementia. So we had to, you know, we were on that ride for a little while. But when she first was diagnosed, we went to the house and we lived with her for a little while and we helped her as much as we could. And then as she progressed and got worse, and this is just about the dignity insurance, it was like, you know, she needed help getting bathed. And that wasn't something that I was mentally prepared for. She wasn't prepared for that. None of us were prepared for that. But by having that policy, it actually helped us be able to keep the dignity. And she was able to go into a long-term care facility and they were able to take care of her and all things like that. That's how I got there. With the estate planning, someone being incapacitated, you didn't know any of this, but one of my uncles was in a coma for about three months and we had to make all the decisions for him health-wise. Well, my grandmother made all the decisions for him health-wise and she left him. He eventually passed away, but it did cause a little rift and not rift in the family, but there was some tension in the family about how long she let him stay on life support. And we all had our own opinions. And if he had a will or an estate plan, he would have been able to retain control of what was going on with him, even in an incapacitated state. Yeah. And in that particular case, I mean, an advanced healthcare directive, it would give him the opportunity to say not only who would help make that decision, but what he would want in that situation. And it's something that a lot of people think you have to go to an attorney to go do that. But that's Mm -hmm. an advanced healthcare directive. It's something that's so simple to do. Most doctor's offices have that. Mm -hmm. There isn't a very big barrier to those types of things. And that goes into your point about the dignity type stuff. I mean, that's huge to have that and to know that you have people operating in your interests who are going to follow your wishes. Absolutely. We talked about what an estate plan is, and I talked a little bit about it with my uncle, but what else can happen when you don't have an estate plan? Well, the state of California actually has an estate plan for you if you don't make one yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's all based on the California probate code. and, And it's something that it's already dictated. There's an order of priority of who gets things and how they get them and who would make those financial and healthcare decisions. But in California, if you have a certain level of assets and that's $150,000 or more of gross assets, then you go to what's called probate. And probate is just the legal transfer of assets when somebody dies. There's several reasons why people don't like probate. Number one is the cost. If you have a $400,000 estate, which I made it a point to say is the gross value of the estate that matters. So if you have a $400,000 house with a $200,000 mortgage, we look at each other and say, that's a $200,000 asset. Mm -hmm. Not for calculating attorney's fees and executor fees in a probate in California. A $400,000 probate, just by way of example, is $11,000 in attorney's fees. It's Mm -hmm. $11,000 in executor fees and about another two to $3,000 in court costs. 
And so I'm painting a worst case scenario here Mm -hmm. because a lot of times a family member isn't going to take the executor fee. But I can tell you right now, the attorney will uh, take their fee. That's just a huge amount. And it's so not only is it very expensive, but it's also very time consuming. Most probates on average last nine to 12 months. If it goes perfectly, it'll last about seven months. I can tell you from experience, they rarely go perfectly. (laughs) Uh, There's always something that comes up. And the third reason people don't like probates, it's public. You can go to the county courthouse and you can look up any information on a probate that's ongoing. Yeah. In some counties, you can even do that online from the Mm -hmm. comfort of your own home. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people don't like that public nature of things. That's what happens when you don't have any type of estate planning documents. And probate is not a place where anybody wants to be. It's just, like you said, it's a long process. It's public information. Everybody can be in your business. It's awful, especially when it's so easily avoidable. Because the three categories of assets that are exempt from probate that will never go into probate are assets with a beneficiary designation. So, you know, if you have a retirement account or even a transfer on death or pay on death designation on a bank account, those types of things, that would never go through probate. Assets that are held jointly. So if you have a husband and wife who are both on an account together and one of them dies, it'll just go to the survivor. And then the third category of assets exempt from probate are assets held in trust. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the major reasons why trust-based estate planning, where the trust is the major document, that's why that's so prevalent in California. Okay, so that makes sense. Why Californians more so than other states that are similar to California should have the estate plan. So what happens if you only have a will or a power of attorney? Because a lot of people will tell me, oh, I have a will, I have a power of attorney, everything's good, I'm fine. What happens if that's the only document you have? And that's one of the common misconceptions that I hear. A will does not avoid probate. Mm -hmm. That's news to a lot of people. What a will does, it just tells the probate court what you want to have happen. And so it is more control than not having a will, but it's not as much control as you can get by having a trust. And so a will just directs the probate court and allows you to name who the executor of that will will be. And it'll be your choice that gets the first priority as opposed to the California probate code dictating Mm -hmm. who has priority. The other thing a will does, which is I think is even more important, is it's the only place in California where you can name the guardian of any minor children. Mm. And that's huge for obvious reasons. Yeah. But so you do get some more control. But again, it's not going to avoid probate like you would hope that it would. Yeah. It's an incomplete document, if you will. Well, it could be right for some people. I don't want to say that it's bad, but it's better than having nothing. Mm -hmm. Is what it comes down to. Yeah. So it's better than having nothing, but it might not execute everything that you want it to do. That's exactly right. That's fair to say that it may not be complete, but it could be, but it's Mm -hmm. probably nine times out of 10, it won't be. This is the thing like when you have who makes the financial health care and custody decisions if you can't, like if you can't do that. And we talked a little bit about it, but who makes those decisions if we don't have a document and, you know, we have kids or financial decisions or health decisions, what happens? So if you don't have any documents, it goes by California law. And California law has an order of priority on a number of these different things. If you're married, it's going to go to your spouse first. If you have kids who are over the age of 18, you know they would be next after a spouse. And so it would go down that line. If there's nobody down that line, then it potentially goes to parents and then to siblings. And the issues that you come across when you don't have that control is, what if you have two different people similar to your, I believe you said it was your uncle, his situation where you have different people who want different things and who think that they know know, what's best. Well, by doing estate planning, 
you get to take control over who makes those decisions because it's people that you trust in those situations. So for financial decisions on a trust, that's a trustee. On a will, it's an executor. Mm-hmm. On a power of attorney, it's your power of attorney. Those are just three different terms for who's in charge financially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Frankly, I think it's unnecessarily complicated to have yeah. three different documents that say basically who's going to be in charge financially. Mm-hmm. I think that's more of a gripe about my own profession yeah. than anything else. It's a bunch of people that we have to make up a whole bunch of different things that do the same thing to make ourselves feel smarter and more important yep. to the general public. I probably shouldn't say things like that, but I really do feel that way. It's just how it is. Yeah. To me, the healthcare one, that's huge. You get to choose who's going to ultimately carry out your wishes. And so I often joke that on the advanced healthcare directive, I don't have my own mother listed because I'm one of those people who, if I'm in your uncle's situation, I want to be let go as soon as possible if there's no hope. Mm-hmm. You know, And so I don't think my mother would ever let me go. And mm-hmm. I love her to death for that. She's doing what a mom does. Mm-hmm. On the opposite side of the coin, I often joke that I don't have my father-in-law listed either because he'd be way too excited to see me. Uh, and we actually have a great relationship. He loves it that I use that example, though. So I think that the part that we're not talking about is when let's paint a perfect situation. And when I say perfect, it's not perfect. Let's paint this situation. You have an elderly parent and you have a larger family. The reason why I'm bringing this example up is because I have a lot of minority clients and minority families typically be, are larger than non-minority families. Several siblings, perfect situation. I'll use my family as an example. This is just a made up example within my family, but there's six siblings. We have my grandmother and my grandfather. Something happens to both of them, right? Simultaneously, or, you know, eventually both of them end up, something happens. Now we're left with, you know, we have a house, you know, maybe we have a retirement account. Maybe we have, you know, some life insurance. Maybe we have a few different things. And now we have no estate plan and we have six people that need to agree on what the final wishes are going to be for the family. It's a logistical nightmare. It really is. And in 15 years of doing nothing but estate planning, the one guarantee that I can make is that there's no such thing as a normal family. Mm -hmm. And there's no perfection here. And I include my own family in that. I often say that if I think your family is normal, I haven't asked enough questions yet. Mm -hmm. There's always stuff that's going to come up. There's always going to be the person who ultimately gets nominated to be the one out of your six to help make those decisions. If you do everything perfectly in their eyes, they leave you alone. But anything they think is remotely off, they're all over you. Mm -hmm. And it's just a no-win position. And if you're the one who kind of nominates yourself or you know, tries to take control, which you, know, you may be apt to do because you do have that financial background where you know, you'd be the likely candidate for something like that. But being a trustee or executor in a situation like that is a no-win situation. Whereas if grandparents named you as that person, I don't want to say an aura around it. It's Again, it's still a thankless position, but at least it's someone else who's told you that you're in charge and told everybody else that you're in charge. Mm-hmm. You know, and you're, and it's not like you're going to rule with an iron fist in a situation like that. They probably pick somebody like you because they know that you're going to gather consensus. You're going to try to take into account everybody's wishes, but ultimately you have the only vote that matters. But you know, you don't need to say it that way either. But I think what it does is it gives the family clarity. It doesn't have like, because I've seen this happen before here in the Central Valley, we got a lot of farm families and there's always farm family fights when, you know, old man Williams didn't have any of this stuff dialed in before he passes away and he passes away and then the wife passes away later and now it's a shit show. And I can't say it any other way. 
Like, you know, it is what it is. They won't edit that out because that's what I said. <laughs> you know, and you see it and then it's like, okay, people always tell me this. When I was in banking, I would see this a lot more often. Like everybody shows up to the bank already dealing with the death of the person that they're dealing with, but now trying to figure out what's going on. Like what accounts did my dad have? What accounts did mom and dad have? Where are they at? How much money is there? We're trying to settle some stuff and no one knows anything and everybody's coming in and it's not good. And now we have decisions being made that are uninformed. I've had people come in years later. Like I found out that my father had an account here or my mom had an account here. And I think, and it was like, you know, they died five years ago and they're like, we really could have used this money when we were trying to settle everything. And so I think when families have those real discussions, which most of them don't, but when you can tell them to have those real discussions about what's going to happen if something happens to you and then being able to have those examples of when shit goes wrong it makes a big difference. And I'm very passionate about this. And this is a big reason why I named my firm what I named it and why I started doing what I was doing because I've seen it happen so many times. I've seen it when it's done well. You come in, the family would come in and you know they had an estate plan, they had an attorney, you know, they bring in the documents, the accounts are already set up in a trust. And so now we have the document on file and now we can go through this and they're like, okay, we need to do this, we need to do this. I need to send my brother this much money. I need to send my sister this much money. I was like, how do you get that? And I think that, you know, people that don't have one just because they think they don't have a lot of assets need to seriously reconsider how they want their end of their life to be and how they want their family to proceed as that end approaches. And it's just, anyhow, I just railroaded the whole conversation. My bad, but I was oh, just- no, but there's a lot of good stuff in there because I think one of the major barriers that people have when it comes to doing their own estate plan, as you said it, you think that you have to have a lot of money or a lot of assets to do it. You really don't. You just want to have to have that ability to have control. Mm -hmm. And which everybody wants on some level. I think one of the other big barriers is cost. And you know, most of this stuff is very template driven. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to write an estate plan that says, give everything in equal shares to my kids, which is the overwhelming majority of estate plans. Mm -hmm. The hardest part is just educating the client on who the good people are to make these types of decisions for you as far as the healthcare decisions, financial decisions, who's going to get your kids. I mean, I like to use personal examples from my own life. Not that it's perfect for the client, but they'll see how my wife and I thought it through and make it perfect for them. That's all that I really do. Mm -hmm. I help clients make their own estate plans is really what it comes down to. I just know what the right questions are to ask. And that's been part of the, our venture with Helios is expanding that access to people who need it. Mm -hmm. We've tried to take away the cost barrier and those types of things. And it's something I truly enjoy. And just seeing more people get their estate plans done, they ordinarily would not do it because they're not going to go pay $3,000 to you know an attorney up in some big building that's dressed up in a suit that they don't want to open up to. Mm -hmm. Because I think that it's your family. And no one's family's yeah. perfect. As you said, it's your family. And it's like, I don't know. Where, There's always know. something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's those little things. Like I was thinking about in my estate plan, I'm like, you know, I love all my kids. But I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, okay, if they got this much money, what would this kid, like each one of them is going to have their own things that they would do. And I'm like, man, you know, we got to make sure that we give this money to them at a certain point in their life, not 18, I pass away and they get half a million dollars or whatever they would get. That's just not smart. So no, I know what I would have done. Because <laughs> I know what I would have done at 18 with half a million dollars, it blew all of it. So that's, it would have been a great three months for you. Mm -hmm. But after that, I'm not sure what would have been left. And I say that about you, but I say that about myself as well. Because the only thing, you know, at 18 to 21 years old, you know, we all thought we had it together and we thought we knew everything. Absolutely. And then you look back and I realize what a knucklehead I was at that. 
Like, there's no way. It's funny. Every year that I get older and my parents and the things that they would say to me get like, it seems like they're so smart now. Like when I was 18, <laughs> they knew nothing. You know, I'm 38 now. I was like, man, you know, they really knew what they were talking about back then. Well, it took me. I remember my dad said it was one of the highlights of his year when I told him that the older I got, the smarter I realized he was. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. You just think you know everything at that age. I know we've talked about a few of them with the estate planning myths and mistakes, but are there any mm-hmm. things that we didn't cover in that topic? And so I think one of the biggest mistakes I see is a lack of coordination between assets and your estate plan. Mm-hmm. And so and I'll go into a specific example. Like for a lot of young families, life insurance is one of the major assets that they have. Mm-hmm. because it's, I've got a 10-year-old and a seven-year-old, like I said. And so if something happens to me, I purchased a lot of life insurance so they could be taken care of. There's money to raise them, to put them through college and all those things. Well, what I've left out is my wife and I, our trust says that the, our kids get everything in equal shares. They get payments for healthcare. They get payments for education, support, but they don't control it until they reach certain ages. And we've done one-third at 25, one-third at 35. Our life insurance policy beneficiary is our trust. Because if I just name my wife, and then if I just name my kids as the contingent beneficiary, something happened to my wife and I, my kids would just get all that money when they turned 18, completely defeating the purpose of that control that we set up. And it's little things like that that can go a long way to screwing up the estate plan that you put together. To me, that part's huge. And you know, my kids, I love them, obviously. 25, 30, and 35 is good now. But when they're teenagers, I'm fully planning on changing it to 55, 65, and never yeah. uh, when they control things. <laughs> but that's why we look at these things and we update them through the years is that gives you the ability to do those types of things. You know, Obviously, I'm hopeful that I won't need to do that. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. One thing that I wanted to ask is not a question that we had. How often should people be looking at their trust? These are people that already have it. How often should they be doing reviews of their trust? I don't like that question, which means it's a great question. It's so hard. I try not to give generic type answers. I mean, a minimum of every five years. But something I often say in a situation like this is if you or any beneficiary has a significant change in health or wealth, that's what I see. So you you see a beneficiary who's kind of going down the wrong path and you may want to hold things back. You see them going down the right path and you want to take off those restrictions. You see them handle their own money in a way that either makes you proud or makes you a little bit worried. Well, if you've got that person named as your successor trustee and you're worried about how to handle their own finances, if they can't handle their own finances, they sure as heck can't handle yours. And so don't name them there. And so it's little things like that. I mean, there's a general rule of thumb of every five years, but you never know. Things can change. You know, guardians for the minor kids, you see those change. I see those change Mm -hmm. a little more frequently than every five years. You know, so it's a very long-winded answer to a very brief question. <laughs> I think it makes sense because I think about, you know, for our trust, Yeah. if you would ask me, you know, two years ago, my aunt had a stroke and my aunt's like my mom. My mom passed away. Both my grandparents passed away. And so my aunt is, she's like my mom. Well, two years ago, she had a stroke. She has some physical limitations, but now with the young kids that we have, if something was to happen to us, we have to update the guardians. She physically couldn't watch them if something happened to us. You know, we had to navigate through that. And it's like, okay, so who do we have as a guardian? Then? You know, so then we look to my wife's family and then we go through that and try to figure, okay, who would be the one that we would want to do this with? And then you bring up financial stuff. And so as the financial advisor, I'm looking at, okay, so who would I trust with my money? And I'm like, I trust me. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Because th- this is what I do. So then I had to think about, okay, how would I do all this stuff? And those are conversations that need to be had with your spouse 
prior to sitting in front of someone and having them do your estate plan. I just say that because I think that sometimes, you know, we don't really think through the what ifs and have those real life conversations about that. And then so sometimes what will happen is, and I've seen this happen in something like college planning. I've seen it happen in estate planning. And when I say college planning, like we have two parents come in and I don't know if there's a parent alive that I know that says, I don't want my kids to go to college. Everybody wants their kids to go to college, right? And so how they're going to go to college is the part that's often not discussed. So we have two spouses in and one will say, yeah, they're going to college. Said, okay, we're going to pay for everything. The other one will say, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I worked and went to school. They can work and go to school. And then I'm looking at, I'm like, this is the first time you talked about this. Right. And yeah. so the same thing happens when it comes to estate plan. So what's going to happen if, you know, you die today? I kill people all the time in my conversation. You die today. What's going to happen now to the kids? And they look at each other and they're like, uh, the likelihood of you being together, like in a car accident or something like that is highly likely. Like you're married, you're probably going to be with your spouse, especially like going on a vacation or some trip, going grocery shopping. It could be grocery shopping if you have both, right. wherever it is. And I think that being able to have those real life questions and scenarios and actually not shying away from because people don't, I don't want to think about it. I was like, that's great that you don't want to think about it, but it is going to happen. At one point in time, your time on this earth will expire. And we want to make sure that we have everything ready when you do. Yeah, it's crazy. You don't want to think about it, but guess what? That's what we're talking about today. And some of the most entertaining meetings that I've had with clients are when they haven't had those discussions beforehand. And I say entertaining, you know, fairly loosely. And there's not animosity, but it's hilarious to see people who haven't talked about the guardians for the kids, for instance. And the husband says, oh, yeah, well, my sister get the kids. And the wife just looks at him and just is staring daggers and saying, oh, no way. No way your sister's going to get my kids. And at that point, they're her kids, not our kids. You know? yeah. <laughs> and that's one of the big takeaways I feel like from today is if you know, to encourage people to have some of those discussions before they meet with their professional. Some of those things are better to have in the privacy of your own home. The advisor can really help you through some of those things. But it's going to be a much more constructive conversation if you've talked about it a little bit. It would be, I guess, a recommendation if I have one. I love it. I think that's spot on. And it's going to help the advisor that they're working with a tremendous amount to have them. I think what happens is it's an emotional thing. One, you're, someone's passing away. Two, you're not going to have your kids anymore. And three, you have to think about who's going to have them. And if that's the first time you hit it, like it hits you, like it's going to be an emotional hijack. Like you're going to be like, what? And now you're in fight or flight because yeah. your emotion, you know, you got a little dump of into your amygdala's hijack and now you can't make rational decisions. And now we have to have another meeting because this one's no good anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely a lot to think about. Yeah, I tell clients all the time that it's, you know, we're not going to be talking about what you're having for dinner tonight. That's a little bit more in depth than that. But I enjoy helping people, I'm sure you do, helping people through those types of decisions. We're here for those clients, for those what ifs. And it's part of the job that I find personally gratifying is helping people through some of these, not only when they're planning things, but after people are gone, helping them through these difficult times. You're never going to make it easy on them, but Mm -hmm. if you can make it just a little bit easier, yeah, we've done a good job. I know you don't take that responsibility lightly, and neither do I. Not I mean, at all. We like to joke around about these things, but ultimately, I like to say I take what I do very seriously, but just try not to take myself very seriously. You know, just trying to help them through these times. Absolutely. So, as you know, Mike, this is the Minority Money Podcast, and we are changing the complexion of wealth. So, I wanted to ask you a few questions. What motivates, inspires you to continue to grow and learn? I think the biggest thing is setting an example for my kids. I'm not perfect. You know, my wife would, you know, exclamation points behind uh, that statement, I'm sure. But I want to leave things better off than how I left them or when I came into them. I really want what's best for my kids. 
And if I'm continuing to grow, learn, you're just getting better. And I really take that on. And I love to take that on. Like that. Do you think education plays a big part in wealth building? Absolutely. I think in what way? The answer is absolutely yes. I think on a lot of times you kind of know what you've grown up with. Like my father was a small business owner, ran you know, a little hometown pharmacy in Stockton for quite a while. And you know, I saw how hard he worked in that business to build things. I mean, we were not upper class by any stretch, but we weren't starving either. And it was just watching that example of hard work and him showing me as I was growing up, just the value of hard work and how he treated his employees, how he treated his customers, how they all treated him. I mean, that's all part of the... I learned more in that pharmacy than I probably ever did in school. I like that. That's awesome. And to see a family business, I hope I'm like listening to you say that. I hope my kids can look back and say, you know what, dad, we watched you build this business and it makes an impact on their life. Yeah. If you could offer one piece of advice to our listeners, what would that be? <laughs> when it comes to estate planning, I would say just... No, just in general, in like general. just a parting gift for the Minority Money <laughs> Podcast listener. What's the parting gift or gifts? You'd be more than one piece of advice. Yeah. Work hard, play hard. <laughs> I work really hard. And also that balance. Yeah, just work on that. And it's always going to be a stretch. Always work on that balance. You know, I like being there for my kids. I like being a little league coach. And that's stuff that I can do as a business owner because I've made it a priority. And so I want to be there for my kids the same way my family was there for me. And so work hard, play hard, and you always work on that balance. Like it. Well, you know what, Mike, I got to thank you again for coming on. This has really been an honor, a pleasure to have you on. And I think the listeners will get something out of it. I got something out of it. And I know we'll be wrapping up my estate plan here in the next two days because I put the 30th as the day that we need to get it done. <laughs> that was more for me than it was for you. But if people want to get more information about you, what you do, how can they get a hold? Is there social media handles that you like to follow? or? Is yeah, it- I mean, we have uh, Twitter, we have Helios Plans. That's the company. For me personally, I post on estate planning things. Bennett Sturkey. Sturkey is my wife's maiden name. Hmm. But that's you can if you follow Helios plans, you'll find me fairly easily. But if they want information about estate planning, I think you're the best place to go, you know, for that because you have access to everything. Helios, it's something where access to you is access to me in this situation. So I appreciate you having me on it. The honor and pleasure is mine. If we can just affect one life with people listening to this, that's a win. Awesome. You heard it here. You heard it directly from Michael Bennett. Get in contact with me if you want to talk about estate plans. We are going to have some things going on with estate plans. Stay tuned to that. We're going to have a special announcement for some of our listeners and how you can actually get into an estate plan. So we're partnering with Helios to help a few families. And like I said, details will be coming on that. But once again, Mike, thanks for coming on the show. It was a pleasure. And until next time. This is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan 
at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time, 